Warning, the following podcast is designed to provoke thought, spark dialogue, educate, and entertain. The perspectives and language may trigger a range of emotions from laughter to angst and possibly anger. We welcome your feedback and thank you for listening. The eruption of mass protests in the wake of the police murders of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and Eric Garner in New York City have challenged the impunity in which officers of the law carry out violence against black people and punctured the illusion of a post-racial America. The Black Lives Matter movement has awakened a new generation of activists. In this stirring and insightful analysis, activist and scholar Kianga Yamada-Taylor surveys the historical and contemporary ravages of racism and persistence of structural inequality such as mass incarceration and black unemployment. In this context, she argues that this new struggle against police violence holds the potential to reignite a broader push for black liberation. Have you ever read a good book that was thought-provoking and wanted to share it with your friends? Well, you come to the right place because that's what we do here. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf. With your host, Lennon Giddens, Donovan Snipe, Stephen Gilliam, and Dr. Harvey Hinton III. A Real Talk book review podcast where we give you our raw commentary on our thoughts. Enjoy. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf from hashtag Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation by Kianga Yamada Taylor. Steve, you picked this book out. After reading this book, man. You can identify the ubiquitous ghost that's going through everybody's household and everybody's mind that's contributing to oppression. It's on all levels. It's in your mind. It's in the language that they choose to speak, that we're choosing to speak towards uh, to speak towards each other. It's in the politics. It's in your, your money. You can't run from it. That's why. So. With that being said, I kind of enjoyed the book. When I first read the book, I was like, eh, whatever. You know, uh, it's another book giving me a bunch of facts about things that I know about my life. But then when I went through it again, I started, it started to reveal more and more as I go through it. Um, I agree. I like how she broke down the, um, like the evolving nature of how we got to the point to where we blame poor people and oppressed mm-hmm. people for their own oppression and kind of how we related to a, a lack of discipline, a lack of self-respect, a lack of just being able to follow the mores of the society and really break it down. It's just like, well, no, even when we do those things, you still get oppressed. You still get, you still become a victim of racism and sexism and classism, even when you're doing the right thing. So I like, I like how she gave that timeline of like how we came to this way of thinking and then into the present, because like, it was something that evolved like post-slavery. I mean, in white supremacy, there is no, there aren't any classes among the non-whites. Everybody is just othered. And then like post-slavery, we kind of got integrated into the classism, but there was still racism on top of it. And then like, just how we kind of get into the blaming of each other for problems that are external to, to us. So I don't know, I, I, I like how she um kind of broke that down. Man, I, I... This book was very traumatizing to me. It's, 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 it's a chapter of my life that I I hate to say it, but I try to downplay often. Because I, 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 I'm I the one who, you know, in my personal experience, it's like, you always talking about this. Like, well, damn, do you understand it? 
and the way the way it was presented, you know, that for that person who doesn't understand it, right? You can't avoid it. You can't you can't get around it. So once again, we get presented with this presentation of all the fuckery about the black experience. And I think that's part of the issue is that it's very difficult to capture the black experience in one narrative. It's a very diverse experience. And the <laughs> I, I don't want to I don't want to green light my critique, man, but like my first my first experience reading this book without doing any background on the author, I was I was in my black radical you know, RBG type shit. Like, here we go again. Like, it's, it's warming up. But then when I looked at who the author was and really paid attention to where this book fits in our society, this is an academic text. This isn't a street text. And this is a Princeton professor writing. And it's going to be very difficult for respectable Negroes to understand this. And that's that's very challenging to a certain extent, but Black Lives Matter was set up to say we're not respectable Negroes. Like all this is in the book. And so if you're looking for the traditional critique on the black experience, this ain't it. And it's gonna be hard for a lot of people to digest this. And I'm gonna I'm stop. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think I wanna explore that a little bit more. <laughs> Somebody begs to differ. Pause. <laughs> it's okay, little Stevie. One minute. <laughs> I like how she opens up the book, man. Chapter one. With the King quote? No, 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 no. Chapter one, the cultural racism. She goes into this speech about the speech that Lyndon Johnson gave at Howard University in oh, 1965. Yeah, yeah. The very next speech she gives of Barack Obama given to Morehouse University on May 20th, 2013. Right. It's almost the same exact speech. The difference is Lyndon Johnson's speech, he's taking on some culpability of, I know that we've done this to you guys. He said, Negro poverty is not white poverty. Many of his causes and many of his cures are the same, but they're differences, deep, corrosive, obstinate differences, radiating painful roots into the community and to the family and the nature of the individual. These differences are not racial differences. They are solely and simply the consequence of ancient brutalities, past injustice, and present prejudice. He's opening up saying like, I know why y'all like this. And I know that there's been some injustice against you. Whereas Barack Obama, he puts it <laughs> all up on the behaviors of the oppressed people. At Morehouse. At Morehouse. Because he said, I understand there's a common fraternity creed here at Morehouse. Excuses are tools of the incompetent to use to build bridges bridges to nowhere and monuments to nothing. Well, we got no time for excuses because the bitter legacy of slavery and segregation has vanished entirely. They have not. Not because racism and discrimination is no longer exists. We know these things are out there. It's just that today's hyper-connective, hyper-competitive world with millions of young people from China and India and Brazil, many of whom have started a whole, started out with a whole lot less than all of you did, all of them entering the global workforce alongside of you. Nobody is going to give you anything that you have not earned. Nobody cares how tough your upbringing was. 
Nobody cares if you suffer some discrimination. So you see how Barack Obama talking at them? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about your problem, niggas. Yeah, y'all got to solve that yourself. Right, but Lyndon Johnson, a white man saying, hey, we know what happened to y'all from past injustices. And I know why you are here. And I know why how you got here. Whereas Barack Obama put all the blame on them and no culpability on the system. So the chapter one talks about, it kind of goes into that, the culture of racism. Starts shots fired. Right. So that's how she opened up the book. Starts off, this white man speak better to our situation than he do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly. still, it's hard, man. It's a hard critique. Like when this first started, I'm thinking like, ooh, we're going to start like this? We're going to jump into Obama right off the gate? Why not? <laughs> Why right. Not? She gets like, and she goes hard in on black conservatives. <laughs> we don't like it. We don't like this conversation. She put Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton all in the same not shit category. <laughs> Let's move from civil rights to civil rights. <laughs> she put them all in the not shit category, bro. She did. But and, to a certain extent, also, they're uh, all not shit. I mean, what what have their efforts done to liberate the masses of black people? Nothing. I think the, libera- I think the liberation definition has changed. Bruh, listen. Li- li- hold on. <laughs> I know. I know. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. When Jesse Jackson started off, Jesse Jackson had the same fervor as the people, as the young freedom fighters in the street. He was a beast. I mean, he was a beast, and it was all with good intentions. Like I said, you can't beat this system. This system will wear you down, right? So he started out, he started going in Chicago, and it was like the Bread Basket Coalition when he was saying, hey, if you have X amount of percentage of people, of Black people shopping in these stores, then your workforce needs to reflect your customer base. So he started doing all these protests and started making uh, making these companies hire black people. What this book is saying, that's all well and good, but you still fueling a system of capitalism, which in turn is still oppressing your people. So well, what time was that, Lenny? What time was that breadbasket coalition? What year what years was that? That was in the 60s. Um, so when motherfuckers were robbing banks. And shooting at cops, he was trying to. He was. He was still the conservative people. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> it's not one narrative. It's just not one black narrative. Well, we don't live in a vacuum, so I mean, everything is always happening all the time. So, like you, nothing is isolated. We're all interrelated. Jesse Jackson was one of those organizers uh, of that convention in 1972 in Gary, Indiana, when he got all those uh, black kids together. Those and, and talk about how we're going to have a uniform black agenda. He organized that. And Steve, what I, to Jesse Jackson's defense, I think that he was trying to better the plight of black people the way that he knew how back then. And the obvious thing back then was there was a lack of financial resources for black people. So he went out there and he was trying to tackle that that lack of financial resources. He even ran for a mayor in Chicago, which opened up the gates for, that became the black mayor in the early 80s of Chicago, Harold Washington. He showed that uh, Mayor Daley was fractured and he could be defeated, although he didn't win. 
it, it, it made room for Harold Washington. She talks about that in the book also. Even we, if you have well, Steve, black, Steve, Steve, can, can cut, that, cut them down, Steve, because it ain't yeah, about can, how good the effort is, right? Cut yeah, down, that's Steve. what I mean. Like, can we just talk about? <laughs> can we just talk about this that history? Like, he was doing the best he could to help black people. Everybody almost is trying to help black people, right? But some people just don't get it. And like some people ain't with it. And like you can everybody trying to help. That's their ego. And someone's intentions aren't going to translate to liberation if those intentions aren't directed in the in the right way or in the best way. And I think that's what this book is critiquing as hard. It's like, yeah, you have some Negroes that are trying to help that are uh, misguided or they don't have this analysis. And let me break this analysis down for you. And then you got Negroes that are just egotistical and they just want to be the head Negro and they're going to be here too. And they're going to say they're trying to help you. And let me break how that is wrong down to you. But this is what we need to do. And that's why this book is so pointed because they're like, this is the issue. And these are the ways that people try and keep you away from that issue, right? Like in chapter one, where she's breaking down, you know, the culture that she's saying like, hey, when when white people or people in power or other black people or whoever are saying there's an issue with black culture or if you only study more or if black fathers are are in the household or if X, Y and Z about your culture gets improved, then you will be free and then you won't be poor anymore. She's saying, actually, no, our system is set up to design to make sure that there is always somebody that's poor. And so we need to not listen to those Jesse Jacksons, not listen to those Al Sharpton's, not listen to those Barack Obama's, not listen to those Hillary's. F what's in their heart. That don't feed nobody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's hard, man. So why is it hard though? Because that's all we got. That's all. Says we who know. though? But who says that's all we got? We got each other. We don't need damn fuckers. Fuck them. Everywhere. We don't need the first black. We don't they're need the first ev- black. They're the, everywhere. The, the, the it's just, first it's black, black secretary black. of defense. That's all we know. <laughs> like, like this is like I'm not even for the point, right? We I know what side I'm on, but I recognize the complexity. This is miseducation that a Negro lived out. It's the same thing, right? And it's unfortunate. I hate to see us suffer. I hate to see us splinter. And I think I think we gotta call it to the task, though. We're not gonna heal if we don't call it the task. But it's just so when you start shots fired, man. God, it's, it's innocent people get hit sometimes, man. And, and well-meaning people get hit, right? Like Jesse Jackson, like you said, he probably started off doing the best he can, the best he know how. But like in the '60s, you know, they killed Fred Hampton. Uh, Stokely Carmichael's in exile, right? Like they killed all the real motherfuckers, right? They killed yeah. all the people right. with with uh, critiques of capitalism and a power base. All the people that were like, oh, we just got to fiddle around the edges and get some black people some jobs. They were like, oh, we're going to let you be around and we're going to pretend we don't like you. Like, see, Steve, the, I guess my issue with that, see, Donovan, I've told the elders that to their face and it didn't come out right. They don't like it either way. They don't like it. I told them. I told them exactly what Steve said. Y'all are not the ones. Y'all are the leftovers. The real ones got killed, and we're sitting here playing with y'all, trying to be respectable and loving our elders and all this bullshit y'all taught us, and y'all not helping us. And it's, it's it hurts because I'm the one got to tell them. I want to read this part in chapter one. She says, "Finally, ideologies do not work 
when they are only imposed from above. The key is widespread acceptance, even by the oppressed themselves. There are multiple examples of African-Americans accepting some aspects of racist ideology while also rejecting other aspects because of their own experience. We just spoke on that. As various times, African-Americans have also accepted that culture and personal responsibility are just as important in understanding black oppression as racism and discrimination are. But the black freedom struggle has done so much to confront expectations that blame blacks for their own oppression, including throughout the 1960s and into the 1970s. The Black Lives Matter movement has the potential to shift this again, even as culture of poverty, politics remain entrenched as ever and, and black equality remains a fact of American life. So she's saying that hopefully that Black Lives Matter movement gets it. Disrupts them. And disrupt that culture of personal responsibility and that culture of, I want to fight against racism, but I also have my mm -hmm. own interest in this system that I'm trying to protect too. And honestly, if we look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves, we all feel that way because we're all enjoying this internet. We all enjoying these lights. We all enjoying these microphones and podcasts. No, that's not that, bro. That's not that. That's not. You that's sure? Not, that's not. Yeah, I'm sure because that you're saying you're saying. Oh, either you're either you have to uh, carve out yourself on a reservation in Oklahoma and and, and start from and, and like reinvent the wheel and reinvent the fire resort out of bamboo and mud. Right, <laughs> or you're in the system, right? Like, no, bro. That's that's not the issue. The issue the issue is like. You can't be a social climber and think that that's not going to that's not going to uh, that's not going to come into conflict when you're trying to do activism work. Like when you do activist work, what happens is people try to coerce you into their institutions uh, and, they, and they coerce you with personal financial gain and they count on you having to. Uh, mute yourself or having to uh, de-radicalize yourself um, and, and make your personal trade-off over that. It, you can you can be perfectly radical and enjoy all the fruits of 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 capitalism, just not to excess. And you have to realize that at some point you're going to have to you're not going to get that next job because or you're you're going to get fired because you know the stuff you say or the stuff that you do is not going to be amenable to your position. What's that realization mean, though, Steve? To what? To how do we keep our sanity and realize that I'm, I'm mm -hmm. just not gonna get ahead with this bullshit I'm talking? Uh, well, like for me personally, what that meant was, you know, when I started getting into activist work, I started, I was working for nonprofits, right? And I was like, oh, I get paid to organize. That's really cool. And, you know, I, I would work for nonprofits and I'd be an organizer for those nonprofits. But if you learn about the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, that's not really a radical avenue. Right. That's like a that's like a system mitigating radical people. And so eventually I was like, hey, I got I got I got fired. I got fired for my nonprofit because they wanted me to do X, Y, Z to fulfill some rich guy's grant. And I'm like, you know what? That's whack. And so I got fired and I was like, you know what? For me, I need to have a profession and a skill where I can be independent and I can, uh, you know, I got, I'm a developer now. So like I, I need a profession where I can make my product and sell it to clients and they can take it or leave it. And if I need to do activism, I can do it on the side and there's going to be no conflict with my activism and, and my profession that feeds me. Mm -hmm. So 
that's that, that that's kinda, what it looks like. It goes to what Lenny is saying about that disconnect. Like you kind of still have to disconnect. You have to disconnect from the system as a means of providing for yourself and your family. Like you can't simultaneously rely on that system and fight against it. And I think that's like a that's like a major tenet of black liberation. Like you have to be able to uh, be able to self-determine. And that was the goals of uh, places like Tulsa, Oklahoma and Rosewood, where pe- black people had self-determination. They were Wilmington, apart North from the Carolina. system. Yeah, Wilmington, especially Wilmington. Um, and as long as we keep those things up, we will be on a path to liberation. But of course, the um, the antagonist, the um, the one who is against us knows this. So that's why we have the destruction of places like that. And like, I don't, I don't think like, like you said, I don't think we have to necessarily be on a reservation. We just need to learn how to make our money separately from that system um, so that we can have some effect on it. Great word, self-determination too. And Donovan, what you're saying is absolutely correct, but how many people are that skilled or have that mental aptitude to start creating you know, things on their own. There's a lot of people that depends on uh, already established systems just to Definitely. get in and work inside that system and get a check. Right. They Definitely feel right. the same way I feel. They feel the same way you mm-hmm. feel. That, that's why that's why it's so hard to get uh, it's so hard to get a social safety net in the United States. Right. Because Democrats are just as bad as Republicans. I hate to break it to some folks, but that's why we can't have, uh, you know, uh, not that I think this is an amazing policy, but like something like universal, universal basic income, or that's why unemployment in Florida maxes out at like 300 something bucks a week. Like, because if people uh, can't risk, you know, getting outside the system and being able to self-determine, then they can't fight. Right. Then you have to work at whatever your job is, nine to five. Also (laughs) black, Black faces in high places touch on that. They touch on the Ford Foundation. They touch on how these um, how these big corporations have these divisions in their corporation right. that that gives money, uh, philanthropy money, to organizations that they want to put their money towards. It's and a lot of times they take that money and they allocate it towards people like Black Lives Matter or the freedom fighter movement, and they give you money. Say, hey man, we know you guys need money to get a lot of buses to go down south to do these sit-ins. Yeah, we do. Here. Buses, wink, wink. Yeah. (laughs) Here's $60,000. Wow, $60,000? That's more than enough. That's enough for the buses and food and hotel and lounges. Yeah, man, we support you, right? So you take the money. Oh, by the way, when you get down there, just don't, uh, if you could, just don't talk about uh, the labor and, and unionizing. We just need you guys, you know, we, you can have this money, but you, we need you guys to stay away from trying to organize and do uh, union labor. And, and, and also kind of talk about this a little bit more. So when you take that money, you kind of like, you sold yourself out, right? Yeah. And, and you got to, and you got to adhere to their demand. And we keep saying, get to the bag. That's all that, we that's know your how to life do. Source. That's, that's it, get to the bag. Get to the bag and figure it out. But that's that cycle. That's that cyclical cycle. Because you want to you, you wanna protest. 
and you want to do these things, but you need money to do it. And the people that you're fighting for, you're fighting for the very people who don't have that money and capital. And you're trying to fight so they can get the money and capital. So those same people that you're fighting but, for don't have money But this to is the question you. I'm starting to ask myself in my activism. So in teacher education, we always deal with this idea of developing cultural consciousness and this idea of the other, right? These people who don't reflect the persons that they're teaching. You know, it's, it's 90, 80% of teachers are white females and these black kids don't see themselves as in, in instructors. So we always have to, you know, deal with what are you bringing to the table to help these black kids, you know? And there's some questions that you can ask, you know, why are you here? Who asked you to come? What is it that you got to offer? How did you get it? Why do you think it's so important? I'm starting to ask myself those questions as an activist. And when I ask myself those questions as an activist, it's helping me think more like Steve and saying, maybe my ego got me thinking that that's what my activism was supposed to be. Because when I answer those questions directly, who asked me to come here? What do I have to offer? Why do I think it's important? I might get a conflicting response. And it might force me to say, wait a minute, bro. <laughs> you need to go get back into your skills again because this helping shit, maybe that's not that's not the full picture. And I think that's where the new conversation around activism to me makes a little more sense because it's, it, this, this is an outdated model that we're addressing. And these, these black faces in high places, we all want to be them. I know I do, but to what, what does that mean? Can I keep my independence? Can I, can I hang out with Steve and be a black face in a high place? It's difficult. Right now, we kind of root for all the black faces in the high places so that we, you know, let them stay there and hopefully they can do something good while they're there. And that's the plan. Yeah, that's that plan sucks too. I don't like it. <laughs> it does because I mean, I feel like we think about the scenario of like the black manager, like the black supervisor in a place like that's all white spaces. So you have like somebody who's black who has your black face, but even as a supervisor or a manager, you still have to be on the lookout of the racism that's coming towards you, and you kind of can't be seen as too helpful to your own people. Otherwise yeah. now you're a problem. So I think, yeah. I think that exists on all levels. So like say Barry, for instance, Barry O also known as Barack Obama, first black president, <laughs> but he's also just a black Real. man on these white people jobs. So like, he know he can only go so far. Oh, he believes I should say he can only go so far before he gets assassinated or admonished or whatever. Um, I about I think, his reputation. Exactly. And I, I think we all live with that. People. But the the greater thing is, I think we have to realize is that those things are going to come no matter what, no matter if we're for our people or if we're not for our people. If we're in those positions, those people are going to come after us. Like um, Mitch McConnell didn't want Americans to have free health insurance because a black man asked for it. Point blank. Now, you can say it was costs or these other factors, yada, yada, yada. But somebody was trying to give y'all something free. And because we didn't like the face of the person giving it to you, there was opposition. And so now what Barack tries to do to mitigate that is just talking these stolid tones, talking the way that white folks don't feel 
alarm that black folks are going to try to get their freedom because the subconscious thought of black people getting their freedom is white death. That's not how it's going to come about. That's not how it needs to come out. But that's always in the subconscious of white folks. The only way these black folks are going to truly get free is to get rid of us. So we have to stomp out their inkling of idea of freedom, even though that's not what we're trying to do because we don't need to oppress people in order to get ahead. We, we've been on this planet before everybody else lovely creating civilization and we don't we don't have to we don't have to resort to that they don't understand that donovan and that's to me but and they're and they're and and with good reason we don't understand that either we don't because we we're also subject subject to the uh the propaganda of anti-blackness and we also buy into it so like there's multiple layers to this to this cake of oppression that we're in right now donovan that was really really good what you pointed out because I say this all the time, that diverse cabinet that Joe Biden has appointed, Barack Obama could have never done that just oh, because goodness. he was black. And it was never been accepted. Guys, right? We're brought up from a young age to idolize and identify personally with these black uh, faces in high places as a, a way to motivate us. But I think it, it hurts us now when there's, you know, uh, much lower barriers to black faces in high places and sometimes uh, encouragement to have black faces in high places because we start thinking that uh, Barack Obama faces the same uh, dilemma as we do as manager at Best Buy where I could I can only say so much or I'm going to get fired or this bad thing is going to happen to me. Uh, I think there's a couple of a couple of trade-offs uh, that a per- person like Barack Obama has to do. Um, to get to where he is. Uh, but as president of the United States, you are the most powerful politician in the world. And at any point in time, you can do something like call a press conference and have your face live across the world to say whatever you want. So if there was some reason that he couldn't appoint somebody or that he couldn't pass health care, he could go on TV and tell everybody, hey, you know what? He could say that thing that you can't say as manager to Best Buy, right? <laughs> he could say, hey, people of the world, so-and-so said they would kill me if I did this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I need you to know that this needs to happen, even if I die. He could say something like that. Or he could say, hey, if everybody stops working tomorrow, we're going to stop working until they pass health care or until they do X, Y, and Z. Uh but he didn't do that, not because he faces the same dilemma that you would face at your job. He didn't do that because he didn't want to do that. And I think that that's a hard realization that black people need to come to when it comes to people like Bill Clinton or or Kamala. Uh, just because they're your skin folk, that don't make them your kin folk. And when you achieve a certain level of power, you actually change the dynamic. And a lot of us, uh, you know, haven't experienced that dynamic. So it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to be free from that monkey off your back. But Barack Obama is his own man. He does whatever he wants. He clearly wants to be a celebrity. So that's what he's doing right now. He's being a celebrity. He's being a recluse. He's getting that money. He's, he's, dropping, in, he's dropping in with little hints and tips for his his peoples every now and then. He's not doing nothing. That's what he want to do. Hey, man, this, I, I want to say, say this. Harvey and I had a conversation about three months ago, and we talked about our past president. And Harvey made a great point. He said, this guy breaks 
all the rules and he does what the hell he wants to do. And by watching him, I have to reflect back and go back to our past president that we held in this high position and saying that he could have did more regardless of the red tape because our past president broke all the red tape. He cleared the table. Is that about Trump? Yes. <laughs> and he yeah. did what the hell he wanted to do. And this is so, like no, so you mean, no absolute, no so ever endorsement point, of Trump. This is not an right, right. endorsement of that motherfucker. But so you mean a, Barack Obama could have could have held a rally at the Capitol and been like, black people assemble. He did whatever he wanted. <laughs> cool. No, what I'm saying is he could have did exactly what you said. He could have got on TV. And, and everybody always say, "Look, this is like." But when he dissed Jeremiah Wright, we knew what was up. Yeah, you right. know what I'm saying. And you know right. what was so funny about that is when he dissed Jeremiah Wright, he introduced me to Jeremiah Wright. Mm. And I don't have many people right now that I can hold to the same esteem as a Jeremiah Wright, and I don't even know the man. And Jeremiah Wright is not just some radical freedom fighter. He I think it was Lyndon Johnson. He was in the operating room. Like he, it was one of the presidents who had surgery, and and he was in the operating room as a medical assistant. So he's you a know, member of the establishment in some so, respects. Yes, he's very, very well established, and he's, he's his track record is, you know, so that separation. That's what. That's all we needed to know. And it was so difficult for me at that moment because it was so many black people that was feeding me, I mean, literally taking care of me at that time. Harvey, don't you dare say that. Harvey, don't you dare say that. You got to let that man be. And you, and you, man, you know how difficult that was. And so, Steve, to your point, in Donovan, it takes a whole nother level of bravery and courage to be able to say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that shit. I'm going to stay on my point because I don't need all of that. And and this, this text right here, it, it brings me back into that space. But don't miss it. Sister is a professor at Princeton. And these are the things that once again reflect the, the complexities and somewhere, you know, it's like, damn, this is not a corner store person that's radical. This is a freaking Princeton professor that's writing this text. And so it has a whole another level of uh, credibility to some. You, you say, say it's, it's not, not a corner store, store radical. <laughs> nah, nah. And listen, the book in the chapter Black Faces in High Places. She she kind of she, she leans one. into it. <laughs> she, she leans into it with the story of Carl Stoke, 1967 Cleveland mayor. Basically what she's saying and what we said in the beginning, as long as you're trying to play their game, whatever your intentions are, or try to manipulate their game, you're not going to get far. And if they let you in, and if you make it to the even the status of a mayor, that comes with some level of commitment of sellout. There's no way that you can get there without any commitment of sellout. She it's started, the hardest. It's the hardest pill to swallow, man. Nobody wants to accept that. Right. So, so if, if so, you see somebody that's a black governor, believe he didn't keep it all the way real to become can't a governor. Say it too loudly. Nobody, nobody <laughs> wants to accept that. Because no, it's, it's not just the governor, it's all of us. These are not yeah. my words, y'all. It's not just I, the I'm not governor. making this up. It's, it's in the text. It's in the right? text. But and it's she not goes, the governor. She, she goes all, all the way us. back from the very first black mayor of a major city. And she walks it down from Carl Stokes 
all the way down to the mayor of of Baltimore, right? And with the Freddie Gray case, she said a week before, <laughs> she kind of encouraged the behavior right. of the police by sending the troops into the cities and locking kids up from being on the corner. So she created this cauldron of police uh, uh, malfeasance and then come back and say, hey, we can't have this. You know, we need to bring these people and prosecute them. She said, how are you going to try to prosecute them when you created this? You are part of the problem. So that's a, that, that was a good that was a good point that she made about Baltimore, though. She was like, Baltimore is run by black people. Yes. <laughs> she, was, she was like, Baltimore, here's here's everybody in Baltimore. They run this shit. And Columbus Baltimore is terrible right like the, people are living in terrible conditions in baltimore and they had a rebellion that lasted all summer months and months of just craziness in the streets again and, and they just have black people putting it down like that to me that that right there takes away this critique of like oh if only we have more black people and so is <laughs> in places like right. like if or, truly or, the only or difference we have between black us, people that speak well they pull up their pants and, uh, and the respectable yeah. politics, then we can make some type of change. So no, they just so want to put you in and 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 talk, and you're going to speak for them and do the things that they want you. You're to going do. to exact the the racism and brutality on black people. Right. Now. You're going we to marry. Entire, exactly. We have Baltimore City Council controlled by blacks. We have the chief of police black. Mm-hmm. We had a black attorney general Eric Holder, <laughs> who's a piece of trash, by the way. This and then we had Barack Obama <laughs> as as a as a black president. And then this we still hard. have all these things going on. So here's the thing. It's not about if you're black or not. Nothing yeah. changed. You know, I, I used to be like, yo, man, why didn't they change the dope laws? Like, that would have been so cool. Like, like why why just overlook the behavior of your daughters? Oh, is this kids being kids? No, change the motherfucking laws, bro. You know you sitting right here on it. Oh, he can't do that. What do you mean he can't do that? Why he can't change the laws? He reduced the federal uh, crack discrepancy from like 36 is, to 36 much. times worse to 18 times worse or something. It's like, bruh. Like, like, that's how much not, you're worth it. It's not difficult, man. We've got man. baby steps along the way. We can't make large it's, it's so fresh. It's extremely frustrating. And, you know, having, I, we get called a task, I think. You know, there's no way, I always say to myself, there's no way you can read these people, the Dr. Kings, the Garveys, the Paulo Freire's, the Malcolm X's, there's no way in hell you can read these people and internalize that stuff and keep acting like, <clears throat> you know, unless you intentionally don't care or you, you just, you quit. And it's a hard, nobody wants to say that, man. I don't want to say that. Why but that's, not? Say it. Say it. What, what do you have left? And that's the we. I think. I think. I think. What What frightens me about the conversation is we lack imagination around possibility, and our creativity is always questioned against whatever's working now. So it's like, fuck, man. That's the whole point. I'm trying to get away from this. Why does it have to always look like? What's working now? If the whole goal is to get away, but you need to interrogate. So, what, whether or not is it actually working? Like we were told, it's working, but is it actually? And if you if they can't if they can't survive that, 
critique, then abandon it. Like we can't, we can't hold on to things that aren't working just because they feel good. It feels good to have a black president, but black presidents don't work. So, <laughs> that's only, what like, when, when only we, obedient I, I, representations of the corporate financial interest. But, but there's, <laughs> I, I hear you loud and clear, but there's, 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 there's so this gap between getting rid of this. Okay. So, okay. What does it mean to say, okay, Obama won't shit. Now what? Like there's no imagination in the middle. We don't. We're not cultivating that space. I would. I would challenge that hard, man. Black Lives yeah. Matter is 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 it, it started under Obama, and it's the largest social movement in in our nation's history, and it still continues to this day. I mean, all summer, this whole this whole past all summer, and even into the winter, there was there was protests. I think. No, I don't. I don't mean that part, Steve. I mean, I mean, it's like the change. I mean, what does living look like? Right. So 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 as as we continue this critique on capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, the the question of morality, what it what is it what does it mean? What do morals mean? Do we do we share the same morals? I mentioned earlier this was a queer read, right? When I first started reading this again, the, the, I felt the energy, but when I peeked into the author, I said, Wow, this is a black female. And then this whole conversation around the absence of the black female voice as it became, as it pertains to the black male experience. I, I've done a lot of work around black males and black male development. And in doing that work, coming in direct conflict with notions of male toxic masculinity, things that I've thrived at, you know? And things that I've had to stop and re- redo everything in order to be acceptance of this young man's experience. So, and what what does his future look like? So that's what I mean about the imaginative spaces, like not the not the protest space, the the work around what does does liberation look like for us? Mm. Like we like 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 the part around to me for me understanding that this doesn't work. I, got that solid bam boom like bam way the fuck away from that part right mm-hmm. can we how do we what are we working our, towards right well i mean and, and, and you gotta have both but <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we moving towards and that's, well, that's, what that's liberation good. looks like right and so and so as we work to create it i mean that's, that, I was that's, what, exc- that. that's what excites me personally mm-hmm. and that's that's where when we start lighting fires to these motherfuckers, are we ready to do that when we don't have all our shit together? We need to start dropping yeah. pamphlets and saying, hey, your life can look like this. Operation Jackson. <laughs> you got, are you guys familiar with Operation Jackson? No, I don't no, no, what is Operation Jackson? Operation Jackson is in Jackson, Mississippi, right? And basically, I think okay. this, this dovetails with like the final... Okay. The final kind of like uh, summation in this book, right? And that's we need to move towards a socialist economy, right? Right. Um, and we need to and we need to be accepting of all genders, uh, sexualities, uh, ethnicities, and identities in order to socialize and uh, and have a, a unity and a solidarity that doesn't exploit the other or exploit the minority. So uh, I think she might have referenced she might reference Operation Jackson. Um, but basically, you know, the solution is we're moving towards uh, uh, democratizing and allowing participation and uh, benefit of the masses by moving away from a capitalist economy. And that doesn't happen overnight. But there's policy suggestions right now that move us towards that, like uh, eliminating college debt. Right. That would 
that would uh, close the racial wealth gap and, and help us out. Medicare for all, right? It's about providing equal access to all the commons in our society, like education, uh, healthcare, food, and housing. And so there's there's smaller experiments like Operation Jackson that are trying to do that, where everyone gets a say in how those things are spent and how those things are divided. Um, and there's also federal policy at that level and, and, and movement for Black Lives and Black Lives Matter are uh, trying to advocate for those policies as a way to get to, uh, you know, the the success because you know it's not going to happen overnight right like overnight you're not going to be poor to okay but we got to like move That's towards social it's, it's, it's people it's people steve on, on again on different levels who say fuck that we ain't got time to wait i want it now why i gotta wait and they ready to like sit on fire right now and so and i think that's the issue that that when we talk about this cultivating creativity and imagine imagine the spaces who who says who gets to set it off sometimes? And when it gets set off, who's who's that who's gonna be there to follow? And who gets to say charge? <laughs> I still think we we that's still a, a question that we're struggling with. You know, and yeah, so I, mean, it, I, I love I love sense. the way when, when you spell that out, okay. I hear okay, so there's possibility, there's a way that this looks normal, right? But then I hear voting, I hear running for office. I hear all that right, same man. shit. Because when you say legislation and yeah, federal, it, it, I don't know it how sound, you don't have it. Like from the other. Hey, y'all, y'all know that book, me. Animal Farm? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's what yeah. that sounds like. Yeah. Hey, man, you know yeah. what? I, I, this is what I want to say, what I hear. And what I feel. I, what I hear versus what I feel. Okay. I hear, like, a, these group of people, Operation Jackson, and they want these basic needs taken care of. I agree with that. I don't agree with the whole concept of living in a socialist society. What I do know is that we, Why? just because we are black, we are not homogenous. We don't all think the same. And all white people don't think the same. And all uh, Asian people don't think the same. But what we do share is a commonality that we all human beings. And I just want to live in a society where I won't have to be lumped in a group and go this way in order to have these rights. I want to have these rights wherever I go. I want to be treated like a human being. Like we need to treat each other like we are a homogenous race of the American race. I mean, the human race, right? I want, I want, I want to live in a meritocracy. I don't want to buy my birthrights and by the way I look and I can't control, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm held back from the things that I can't control. I want to be, just like Martin Luther King said, I want to be judged on my character, right? That's what I really want. And, you know, whether I want to live with white people, black people, I want to be a choice. I don't want to have to live with people that looks like me so I can feel protected. And that's the problem. And, and that's what she talks about in this book. She goes into the next chapter where she talks about the formation of the police force and how she spells out for those who don't know uh, about the formation of the police force. It was started after slavery because white people, it wasn't that really they were scared that black people were going to uh, retaliate against them. It was a piece of that, but that wasn't the larger impetus. The larger impetus is these people are free. Now what are we going to do? How are we going to make money? We need to find a way to funnel them back up onto our, uh, up onto our fields to make money 
So they started this system of sharecropping and they put the police in the place to enforce the law, which was the black code law, is to get these black people and make sure that they are back on the plantation. Nobody wants to hear this shit. So she talks about Landry County, I mean, Landry Parish in in Louisiana, right? She started Mm -hmm. going down the line in Landry County, right? I mean, Landry Parish, because Louisiana has parishes. She started going down the line in Landry Parish saying things like, you can't assemble, a bunch of black people can't assemble without a white person present. Even if it's for church service, you got to have a black preacher. If you caught out walking past 10 o'clock at night, and your boss, your employer, right? We going from, we move from being a, your master, your owner to your employer. You see the emphasis on corporation and that they didn't let you out papers on from your employer. You get, you got to go work on the road or pay a fine of 250. We're going to, we're going to take this and we're going to put it into present day, right? Either pay this bail, pay this, pay this whatever, or pay you this stay fine. In this red light, pretty much how it works now. The red light <laughs> ticket, or this fine, or, or 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 work on the road when you see inmates on the side of the road, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's all the system. And back to which, what I was saying earlier, I don't want to have to live in a society just because I was born a certain color in a different hue or melon that I get treated a certain way. I shouldn't have to you're go just, run. You're describing to socialism. You shouldn't have to. <laughs> you're but you do. But and I do want to. I do want to. I do want to get rewarded for my efforts. If I put in a li- more, if I put into more effort than my neighbor, I should. It should reflect on my rewards and, and, and my fruits. Right? Yeah. No, no, no. Effort don't mean shit. It's about outcome. Well, yeah, okay, my outcome And outcome my is effort. based on my preference And my preference is based on what I'm into And I ain't into that shit you talking about right now Or your effort, your outcome is based on The resources that you already own Exactly right? you, you talk, You're talking about socialism or any, except to get Right, it, it, socialism doesn't mean Everybody has $100 in their bank account That's not what that means, right That means that you, you're not in want of anything Because uh, as a part of society You're valued at a certain place Where you can live, right It's it's not that you have a cap on your achievement That's an American lie To get you to buy into capitalism Because in capitalism we, we always want more than the next guy Like, I'll, oh, I'm going to work harder than Lenny And this, this, this idea of competition This idea of competition, and I can outcompete somebody is toxic. It's a bad idea. You gotta get rid of it. I agree, but it's not but I, I don't I don't think it's black people. Man, I got a whole thing full of trophies and you tell me get rid of competition. You see that shit though? You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's but yeah, but, 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 but I'm not but what I'm saying is I don't want to compete against my neighbor, right? And maybe I said it wrong. I just want to have Nice stuff. No, nah, you didn't say it wrong. We got to keep talking about it. Right. Yeah. We got to understand yeah. it. Our imagination is off. We don't understand it. I'm going to give you a perfect example. When I had a job, right, and, and when I was working for the railroad, other train masters that was on my level, right, they felt like instead of doing better for train themselves, master. right, they, they got rid of master last year after the George Floyd. They started getting rid of the master terminology so so we do it we do make some uh inroads we're protesting so 
What I'm saying is they thought liberation. They, <laughs> Stop and, them damn things with them guns showing up. Got them guns all in the hood. We'll we talk about that from. later. Hey, listen. How about that? What I what I'm saying is they thought the way they get up is to get rid of their competition. They didn't think about it. The way I get up, I need to perform better or do better. So they would try to get rid of their competition by throwing you under the bus, speaking bad on you. Involving you, uh, sending an email of your uh, your mistakes and copying everybody in, that's their way. So I thought that they had a thought way of looking at things. I'm like, hey, won't you just work on your own merit and do it do it the right way? But since I thought that way, guess where I stayed? As a train master, <laughs> and people would get promoted. And I was like, this person don't know shit. Right. But what they did know that I didn't know is they knew how to buy into a system, the system that I was really unfamiliar with, that I was thrown into. Right. We were we were bought over here and thrown into this system. The other people came over here already knowing what the system is. So that's the question, though. Do you need to learn this system or do you abolish the system? And what imagination of what system you're going to live in next? Like, imagine all your imagine all your needs are met. Do you still need that promotion? Imagine no, you have I wouldn't health. even be okay. there. Okay. I wouldn't exactly. even be there. <laughs> exactly. So why would I be there? When you're like, I want to exactly. be able, I want to live in a meritocracy where I can achieve all I need to with this merit. Like, dude, you got kids, you got food, your health care is taken care of. Go outside and go fishing. Who's so going like, to take out the trash, dude? <laughs> who's who's going to take out the trash, though? Who's what trash? What trash? Trash. And now, what's your work. motivation for working if you got everything? Now you right. gotta make sure stuff okay. is hard hey. for you. Right? Hey, you, you know, know that? You know that? Want more? Hey. You know that robot that can do backflips? Let's make some of them that can take out the trash. Let's do that. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Hey, How listen, that? listen. I, I, while, while I was talking wow. about the police, right, and and we were talking about the George Floyd and protesting, and if you notice, like sometimes there's two different ideologies. We, we're thinking we're, we're fighting for rights and power, right? They looking at us like they're not even considering our rights and our power. They're looking at us like we're out of control and they need to do something about it. So that's why you have those white people who stand alongside the police with their guns or those white people in Texas who felt empowered in that vigilante, that vigilante uh, mode. I don't know if I said that correctly. Vigilante. Yeah, they're vigilante mode and they went down to the borders with their guns because they felt right to do that. And you know what? They do have the right to do that based upon um, uh, Kianja Yamada. Kianga. Uh Yeah, I messed Uh it up. Uh Kianga Yamada. (laughs) She said all white citizens were expected to police the activities of uh, African Americans. Mm -hmm. But it was ultimately the responsibility of law enforcement, law enforcement officers to make the arrest. These laws made it clear that policing was more than simply racist. The police worked with those in power to provide a regular labor force to replace the labor force that has been disrupted by slavery's end. This was a cloak on the rhetoric of the law and order, but after slavery, the white elite in the South used the law to control and manipulate newly free African-Americans. If that ain't what they doing today, when they go in with these private prisons, and you know these private prisons has a quota of capacity, and if they don't meet their meet they quota, they can sue the state, right? <laughs> so they got to put people in jail 
to provide jobs because otherwise these little small middletown american uh cities they don't have jobs their resources are around the money that's coming from the prisoners the correctional officers then they have banks they, they need to start building those loans. trash robots or something you know what i mean or maybe so, crime robots so we can arrest the robots instead of people oh future crime exactly hey. what's but that what's that movie we, Our robot? Uh, minority report okay yeah. Um, but then we should ask the question, why is this the only, why are we entering these type of deals with prisons? Why, why is that the stipulation that it has to be filled to capacity? Like we need to start holding our legislation. Let me ask you, let me answer that question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We were bought over the uh, you know, the world has natural resources, right? Yeah. Human beings are the top at the top, the apex of natural resources. Definitely. We're still natural resources. So the black man is considered a natural resources, a natural resource in America. So they use us as a commodity. That's why they build those prisons, because we are a commodity. But that's how what, do that's we change that framework, does. though? Like, how do we change the framework? Like, like he just, I'm reading that, Donovan, that, that Biden is supposed to be ending the federal government um, contract with private prisons. But most is of that, the private prisons not- in this country are run by the state. So he, he's only doing... Ooh. A drop in the bucket. <laughs> oh, also, also, fun fact for this Ooh. one: Obama already already did that by executive Ooh. order. And when Obama did it by executive order, he still signed more contracts with private prisons after Ooh. that, and just and no one reported it. It's anymore. like when they they made it illegal to import slaves from Africa, right? Then they started breeding farms. Same kind of shit, right? Exactly. From Jamaica, this is mm-hmm. right? So, what what, the, what what pattern does that show you? It doesn't matter how you try to circumvent it. They're smarter than you. And they can codify laws and they can oppress and undo what you did. So they can be like, hey, we'll give you that. And then they'll go around your back. This is why the approach has something else that's that's more pernicious than what you asked for. Who's making the laws though? Like, you can't just rely on one strategy. Like we have to rely on voting. We have to rely on protests. We have to rely on getting into different positions. We have to rely on thugs in the street beating people up like we need all of these things in order to bring about a total revolution like without them if you're missing any component of it it all falls apart that's why we still have people random people shooting black people because ain't no thugs in the street beating people up if somebody had gotten to george Zimmerman like how he's supposed to gotten to we'll probably see a sharp decline or a decrease in the amount of random people getting killed. But because we don't have that because nobody's afraid of us because nobody's making laws on our behalf because we're not voting we suffer all the ills of everything that comes towards us. So I don't know. I mean, they killed off the radicals and they killed, when they killed off the, the generation in jail, the generation of black Panthers that were the, the most radical, they, they set us back on those respects, like a lot. Cause now, uh, like what Harvey's saying, even the elders, they, they, the quote unquote leftovers, uh, of, of the elder. And like, we don't have anybody like a Fred Hampton, that's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to educate and mobilize the entire working class across all races. And Fred Hampton, he wasn't even he wasn't even like a, a violent insurrectionist. He was just like, no, we're not we're not doing it right. Like he would he would uh, he didn't advocate, uh, you know, taking up arms because he felt like he would lose that fight against the United States military. But he was also like, we're not having it. We're not going we're not going to do it. Man. I asked, I asked my pops one time, I said, man, I'm looking at the yearbook from North Carolina Central from, you know, 68 to 72. And it's like, 
dashikis everywhere, black <laughs> fists everywhere, afros everywhere. And I asked him, I said, man, what happened to all that blackness? He kind of looks at me, he goes, what you mean? We had to go to work. We was the first, we was the first to get them jobs. Couldn't mm -hmm. take that shit to work. Exactly. And he's like, you know, in this country, you can't be too extreme. That was his, that's the best he has to offer. But he's right it's, though, that and that the reason he has to do it is because we don't also have a another structure in place for those people to work. So because we don't have that in place, we have to go to their shit and work by their rules. Hey, hey. Let's bring it back to the book and what you said, though. Let's tie it into the book. Oh, right. when she was talking about um, our getting these federal jobs and how that lifted exactly. black people out of um, exactly the only jobs that black people were getting those jobs that you're talking about in the uh, late sixties and in, in the uh, in the seventies that were that mm -hmm. that that paid they respectable went from the wages to a federal job. Same fucking people. Right, that, that, paid, <laughs> that paid that paid respectable wages where you yeah. can actually pay your bills were mm -hmm. federal jobs, right? Yeah. So let's go back to what I was talking about in St. Landry's Parish when they caught uh, Black people out uh, walking or without papers, permission from their employees, what they made them do. They made them pay a fine or work on, on the public road, right? Fines. Where does that money from fines go? The the fines and the, and the fees that we pay goes to... Uh, goes to financially support the government, right? Which in turn financially pays your dad's wages. So it's a cycle, right? So your dad depend on the, the nigger level, I mean, the nigger element in order to pay his fines, right? Um, those manipulated red light uh, cameras, um, all those... Yeah, that's not the, that's not like the main source of income for the government. No, it's so the not. The government can print money. It's more the fine. The function of the fine is, I if you owe the state, the state can do whatever they want to get that money, right? The, fuck the, fun you. the function of the fine is if 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 I owe you money, Lenny, you can call me, but I've already blocked your number and you don't get through. You can't. You can try to sue me, but it's my word against yours. The function of the fine is if I'm the government and you owe me, like the student loans that I don't pay, if if they want to, they take it out of my check. They can. Uh, I can't. I can't get rid of that fine at all. That that fine is psychological. It's it's, it's there to control you. I'm talking. Uh, so when we talk about fines, we're talking about bail fees. Oh, uh, you know, you 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 late registering your car, all so that. you got to get this boot on your car. To that's eight hundred dollars. It's all designed to control behavior. Yeah, I mean, so it's not the, about. So what you're saying, Steve, is really not about the money because they no, can print saying, money. Yes, it's about the control, yes. son. It's, it's about, about the control. control. It's, it's about the effect that you owe the government, right? It's not that your dad is going to be like, oh, I, my paycheck is late because you didn't pay your fine, right? Like, it's not, that's never going to happen. I get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But what yeah. But what I'm saying is I'm making the, con the connection. The very person that feeds you is the very person yeah. that's harming you. That's right. my connection. So mm, okay. we, were, we were elated and excited about getting these jobs. But what those jobs did was muted the baby boomers from because the baby boomers were the black power. But when they got those jobs, when we talked about it at the beginning of the uh of the podcast, you have to you had a choice to make. 
am I going to still be an activist or I'm going to feed my family? Mm-hmm. Right. Some of these people didn't have the skills to be able to uh, be creators and create content or create whatever and have an independent job. They needed these jo- government jobs. So they they used the government to mute us. And what you said in a podcast um, in the um, the miseducation of the Negro podcast, Harvey, you made a great point. You said, guess what these government jobs were, too? Some of them were FBI jobs. And guess what the FBI did? Cointel Pro. So they use you to feed your family to be an informant against a uh, against a um, an organization that's there to help you. A socialist organization. Yeah. Uh, and and I tell you what, that <laughs> so still happens cycle. on the on the neighborhood activist level. That still happens. It's not by the That's FBI, why this shit and it's not even organized. Shit, It'll hey, be like an influencer in the city government or whatever you're advocating against something. will send black people in to your movement <laughs> and, and to inform on you. And black people will be like, do it on on a promise or on that. Like it's like it's not even as organized as COINTELPRO now, but black people are are doing that regularly. Like what you as mean? Like what they, we didn't have the promise to like. So what is the price to sell out now? Is it competitive? Do they have competitive sellout prices? <laughs> it, 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 it's better back in the day. We was getting paid better to, to sell out. Is the sellout price is we get you this city job and we bring your cousin in on it? Oh, no, no, you don't even need a job. You're not getting a job. That's too high no more. Oh, that's too high? Yeah. So what's the sellout price? It could be Oh, oh, oh. You got caught with this bag of weed. No, they didn't even nah, they, 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 they'll do that too. But I'm telling yeah. you, they'll be like, it's just, it's a black person with a middle-class job that wants to get involved in your movement. And they will be, they will go to your meetings and tell all your business to random white person in city government or- At what cost? No, nothing. People That's aren't getting that. Why, why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? It's the feeling The feeling like they hit the table. See that with the, the auspice, with the auspice of the getting table. promoted and being accepted? No, it's no. just to be there. The yeah. price is too high, Lenny. The price, it's your price in there, your man. head is too it's, high. It's so yeah. sad. It's, no, it's I'm horrible. trying to say, like, what, what, what would motivate somebody to do that? Acceptance of whiteness. That's what I'm saying. Do you understand how far that is from a person that's, if you are in poverty, living in the whatever, the whatever, and you got this acceptance of whiteness thing, it doesn't matter what level of occupation you on, you're going to carry that bullshit with you. Mm-hmm. It don't yeah. matter what your job is, you're going to carry that bullshit with you, man. Hey, now, listen, all your I, I want to change, I want to I shift gears right quick. And I want to go back, and I want to go back to what we were talking about, the old guard, and we talk about like our, our parents and our grandparents, the people who live through the Black Power Revolution and those people, right? Those people who still feel that we can we can overcome this by getting into black politics and and getting accepted. You remember those people, those Jesse Jackson followers that we talked about? I want to And nobody admits to be a Jesse Jackson follower. That's what's so sad and fucked up about those people. I like but Jesse Jackson. Jackson. No, 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 no. Hear me out. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you, right? I, I, I understand who Jesse is. I met him, A&T, I, all of that, right? <laughs> he the brush, all of that, right? However, 
His generation don't fuck with him. So what are we talking about? Is it because right. he killed Martin? Come on, I don't. I, I, <laughs> conspiracy theory. They don't even That's say that, Donald. Yeah. They just they allegedly. They just Martin? so they just they yeah. Just that, so, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> we not we not go do that. I just don't understand it, man. To, because to Martin point didn't from the die beginning, at the hotel. He died at the hospital. Come on, man. Stop okay. all that, man. Stop. Yeah. Stop. stop. Right. But we not go go there. He didn't get shoot. He didn't get shot with a Nerf gun and then die at a hospital. Steve talked about idolizing. And, and our that's where I'm going. How we were taught to idolize people. Exactly. And so well, that, that goes well, back to like the conversation we had on church and Jesus and waiting in the by and by. Like, right. That's all baked into American black culture. Wait but, on this Messiah. Wait on somebody my, to save you. Don't try to save yourself. If but, somebody is looking like they're trying to save you, they probably need to get killed. Repeat. Jesus died. Martin died. Malcolm died. Do you want to die? Or you want this job and take care of your kids. Right. So, and, and that's destructive because they use that against us. They get these people who we think is, ah, you know, all you got to do is get a white man to play the saxophone up on Arsenio <laughs> Hall. And we call him the first black president. Right. But again, uh, he was probably the most pernicious and uh, destructive one of the most uh, destructive presidents that we had, and he was supposed to be on our side. He was a Democrat, mm -hmm. right? I want to read this. It says, in 1993, President Bill Clinton unraveled a new crime-fighting bill. The Violent Crime Control, the VCC, and the Law Enforcement by Act. Joe Biden. And the law, uh, the law Enforcement Act of 1994 that included expansion use of the death penalty Life sentence, life sentences for nonviolent criminal offenses, a hundred thousand more police on the streets, and a punitive elimination of the federal funding for inmate education. So, not only did he make nonviolent acts, um, he uh, more uh, mandatory for nonviolent acts. He put a hundred thousand people on the police, and when you get to prison, he's not going to even educate. None you. of that's supposed he, to matter. He's going to keep you dumb. Hold on. I mean, here's the insidious part, though. Logically, it stood the reason that if the legislation increased the number of people to be punished, there must be somewhere to put them. So the bill also included $10 billion in allocations to build more prisons. We talked about that. He said Clinton, sorry. Clinton lobbied for the legislation. Here it is. Here's the insidious part. Clinton lobbied for the legislation in the same Memphis church where King had given his last speech the day before he was assassinated. Clinton's pulpit speech demonstrates the tremendous shift in racial politics. King had used that pulpit to support black maintenance workers as they attempted to unionize. Clinton used it to ask black people to support expanding death penalties. Who Clinton, booked that? Huh? <laughs> Who booked that lecture? <laughs> Hold on, Clinton claimed <laughs> using words. He assumed this is that entitlement shit. King would say if he were alive to deliver the speech himself. That's when that's when your grandma should have put her hand up and stood up in church and say, no, no. Hold on, I baby. Call bullshit. Hold on, baby. You saying something wrong. Right, 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 right. Like, like, that's not bring King into this. <laughs> right? 
I fought to stop white people from being uh, from being so filled with hate that they could wreck violence on black people. I did not fight for the right of black people to murder other black people with reckless abandonment. It was an awful statement, a devoid of any facts or historical context of how the public policy that had nurtured urban urban divisiveness. Who asked him to come? Right, for a better part of the 20th century. By doing so, he actually encouraged crime, violence, and drug use. Mm -hmm. Dog, Clinton is a snake, man. Don't you say that. Like, the very very church where King said, when it was thundering and lightning outside, and they was was worried on whether he was going to make it or not. And he got up there, he said, it really doesn't matter. Uh, if I live, uh, if I live or die, you know what he said. I've been to the mountaintop. That's that mountaintop speech. I've seen gave. the promised land, and I've seen the promised land and the coming of the Lord. Right. <laughs> so he goes and he gives the same speech that's going to lock black people up in the same church. What? The and when I be like Obama, when I be like Obama didn't free Tukey, people be looking at me sideways. I be like, yo, he could have freed Tukey. He could have freed a lot of people. No, what I'm saying is that insulted our intelligence, and he said that these stupid niggas is going to vote for that and get behind me. But but they did. I can't because back I can't in 2015 he came back and said that I think that he said in 2015 Bill Clinton admitted. The horrible damage created by his crime legislation, damage widely predicted by Bill by uh, Bill's progressive opponents. I want to tie this in right quick. We have too many people in prison, and we wound up putting so many people in prison that there wasn't enough money left to educate them. That's what you did on purpose. Uh, Train okay. them for new jobs and increase chances that they came out that they could live productive lives. Hey, what was going on in 2015? Why did he say that in 2015? Because Hillary was running? Thank you. Here we are like 21 years later. We got to fix up this image. Fix it up. We got to make it look right. Right. I'm so So sorry. Another disingenuous act. Another disingenuous act. Dog, in this book... One thing I don't need is any more I'm sorry's. Right. This is hard, boy. And I, I mean, this is why most people don't care hard. about politics, though, right? Like this most. That's what I was just about to get to. In this book, she, boy, she spells it all politics. out. This yeah. is hard. Princeton professor. Princeton professor. Princeton. Why do I need to get out and vote? Hmm. Why Princeton. ain't nobody black but one of the crackers? So why Princeton. I got to register? I think it's a better shit to do with my time. Princeton. Never spell the Roma of the Roma, so I write the Princeton. these ass rhymes so let me take y'all way back in the. <laughs> what y'all know about that? <laughs> now every time, ever since he said that, when I first heard that verse, I used to always think like, why you think like that? Right. I always wonder. You ever had like one of those verses that stood out in your brain? People know something. They've been dropping these gems. Maybe my brain wasn't developed enough to start comprehending what I was hearing. But as I get older, and Kianga, uh, Kianga Miata Taylor, sorry, butchering your name, Kianga Miata Taylor, she spelled hey, it all on. out. Hold on, Yamada, Yamada, my bad, Yamada. I think the wise. Did first. I say Yamada? You said Miata, like the car. Oh. It says there have been three distinct periods of policing in post-civil rights era, each built upon the previous. 
Ronald Reagan's war on drugs, Clinton crime regime, and the era of the war on terrorists. These overlapping periods have culminated, uh, culminated, culminated, thank you, have culminated in the phenomenon of mass incarceration, including increased scrutiny, surveillance, policing, and imprisonment of all working class people, especially African-Americans. The police have also become agents of gentrification and multiple revenue collections. The transformation illustrates the, the degree to which law enforcement as an arm extension of the state regularly welded in the interest of rich and powerful. It's the same, same scope of work. Yep. It's the same yeah, I, scope of work from yesterday to today. I mean, the dissonance. Yeah, I, I want to. I just want to. It all has also, the same solution, though. Which is based, up, based off of up, get the most. Based up, off of what you said, Lenny, is that people been knowing. I think that's a good point. People have been knowing, and I think you know this kind of. We have to kind of examine ourselves when you say that, and in the circles that we. All, what you mean? You know, we're all been knowing. What are you talking about? When I say well, you, you know, we, you people know. Like people don't care about politics. People are on their own shit. People okay. are just trying to survive. They don't engage. And of course, you know, if you tell most people, they're like, of course, politicians are liars. Of course, they're snakes. Of course, they're that. That's why I don't participate. And I think you know that's where we have to examine ourselves and where we sit in this in this world, right? We're all college graduates. Most of our friends. Um, are also college graduates and middle class. And that requires a certain amount of buy-in to the system, right? Because we all believe that we are going to uh, elevate our social status, elevate our economic status or whatever we believe in college was the way to do that. And, you know, for me that I would try to, I try to keep that in mind and, and keep uh, and center my work around not going to help people that uh, have already come to these conclusions and are already surviving and already have communities and programs and survival methods. I feel like a lot of my work is in my community with these black middle-class people that are finding themselves struggling or falling out of the middle-class and educating them as to like, hey, I know you believe this much bullshit because you went to college for most of your, you, you had this goal of graduating and getting a job for most of your life, but like, here's why this is not working out for you. So now that you know that, you need to take this and do something positive. And I think, you know, for me, I to be honest with myself, like, that's my community, that's my social circle, that's my sphere of influence. So I need to be like, hey, uh, you know, in our, in our WhatsApp group, I don't let a positive Obama comment go by without jumping in and being like, actually, <laughs> or, or, you know, or when someone's like, hey, black people, black people, we all need to, uh, we all need to read to our kids at night. I'd be like, actually, uh, you know, and, and so I think, yeah, people do know. And, so you're a disciple for black liberation. Uh, let's not even use biblical words at all. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, not, not in the biblical context, not in the biblical context, but to what you're saying is being a disciple is, is to really push that agenda in the forefront and make sure that when somebody is saying something or doing something and you're correcting it and you're trying to change that ideology and you're defending your ideology and you're trying to correct somebody that is wrong. So you right. always, it's your job to jump on that, to right. enforce I'm, that. Yeah. You're right. The people in my circle that are making $250,000 a year, I'm trying to make sure that they don't feel special. 
I'm trying to make sure that they're not judging other black people <laughs> in their morality and their choices. They and I'm trying to, to make sure they can, they can understand that their success is an exception and that it is necessary for their success for the system to continue and oppress even more people. They and I think, that. you know, their in a way, I guess- is an exception. That is the most powerful thing you say. Keep yeah, going. You're right, Harvey. They don't want to hear that because that Keep going, about that, that. No, that's it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Pedestal. What you were saying, Donovan? No, I'm saying that, that that removes them of that pedestal and that place of of specialness. Nobody wants to not be special. Nobody wants to think that they didn't do all this on their own. Like, what do you mean? It's hard it not to feel like, special, I, I, though, when you do have some level of prestige achievement. You can it's, be special. It's one of the hardest thing. That's that's how we get people into cults because we make them feel special and are privy to certain special knowledge. Like that's that's a human thing. Like right, it's hard and to Steve said it's his job, and it should be our job to keep people grounded. Yes, saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, you're just like me. Get down from down there. Get off. Yeah, of get from up there, man." Uh, Harvey, you was about to say something. I just wanted to say this. D- y'all notice uh, another pattern in this book? How they use like our downtrodden and our uh, how they use niggas, how they use niggas as a trope to pass laws that goes against everybody as a whole. Definitely. Which in turns make black people say things like, you make us look bad, mm-hmm. right? So can you blame them when the people say you make us look bad? Cause they use, look at, and she talks about how they pass laws and, and they say things like, look at these people with their pants sagging down or their colorful shoes or whatever. Things, the tropes that white people look at and they despise, right? And they use those and they make them as a whole and it represents all of us. And that's how they pass it. So Man, just like, ask, just like, if you just don't look like, like five cents a day can feed you. <laughs> <laughs> just like Steve, when you say your target, your target group is the people at the top, right? There needs to be somebody that's elevating these people too. So we can all meet in the middle where it won't be too extreme because you can make a lot of money and you could be extreme up here, and you could be extreme down here, and they can use both against us because they can be like, look at them niggas up there at the top. They making all this money and they taking money out of your mouth, right? Or they could be like, look at these niggas down here. They're gonna come and rob your community and rape your daughter, and you could probably have oh. a baby with these niggas down here, right? <laughs> I mean, for real. So propaganda wild. It's wild, right? But we we got no we not we got no skin in the game. We don't own the the news, the channels. We don't own the narrative. So I, I mean, I, what, I we're, what, we're, what we're doing now, honestly, this podcasting era, this 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 era that we're in right now, using the technology, we're creating content. We're we're we're, we're contributing someone's imagination. Someone gets to hear this shit and go, "Damn, I never thought about it like that." You know, this is this is a this is a kind. I don't like talking like this because I've been there before. But somebody's going, damn, I never thought about it like that. And it's like this is the small stuff of the revolution that people talk about that has to happen. I don't want to overlook that. I don't want to overlook the role that this plays into that. You know, that's why I keep going back to this is a, a Princeton professor. This is scholarship. So this moment, you know, and I think as we continue to define liberation. And what, what does it mean for us to be able to pick and choose what we want to do 
have our needs met and contribute in a way that brings value to our community. Like how do we how do we create that platform? That's Man, the part that excites me. In the final chapter from Black Lives Matter to Liberation, she asked that question. She says, chapter seven, mm-hmm. she says, the question remains, could the machinery welded in the, in the oppression of blacks now be retooled in the name of black self-determination? It kind of goes back to what Steve was saying. What does it, uh, when, when you was asking the question, Harvey, what does it look like? And Steve provided his answer with the, uh, with the Jackson project. Could it look like that? You know, that's just an idea. If you think about it, if you go back in the history books, we've been having this same conversation for a hundred years. So what does black liberation look like? You know, you had great thinkers, uh, W.E.B. You had, you had the people, uh, Chris Wilson, uh, you had, you had, um, Come on, Tuskegee. What's the man? Booger T. Washington saying we should just work in the system and keep our head down and get this money and and maybe white people will like you. Or was he saying you don't care white people like you, you know, get this money and live away from them and don't worry about them. Whatever he was saying, everybody's always doing it. You know what I mean? We're not and we're not doing this on this podcast. Don't think we do it on this podcast. We're just talking about this book. How are we doing? And we're making personal <laughs> reference from the book. We we're saying what she said in the book. You know, I didn't say this, Bill Clinton. She said this about you. And you did it. <laughs> but you did do that. And, and, and it was insidious by you going up into the same church that King uh, gave the, uh, the the mountaintop speech on to give a uh, to to get to get support on something that was detrimental to us, you know. And laughter. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Remember to click, subscribe, and share with your friends.